Hi, everyone. Welcome to the CSC Podcast. I'm Zudi Bawari, producing artistic associate here at Classic Stage Company. In this episode, we welcome back producing artistic director Jill Rapson to discuss the 23-24 season, her first season she's programmed here at CSC. That's coming up on the CSC Podcast. Jill, welcome back to the pod. Thank you, Zudi. I'm so excited to have you back. Uh, Last time you were here, you were just starting at CSC. Right. And you got to tell us about what you thought a classic was. And you we learned a bit about you and your tastes and what you find interesting. And now we get to have you on to talk about your first season here, which is so exciting. Let's start with the fall production. I can get it for you wholesale, a book by Jerome Weidman and music and lyrics by Harold Rome. What inspired this revival? Well, This is fun, first of all, because I think that our last time chatting was about what I might do here. And now we get to talk about the things we're actually going to do at CSC. So it feels much more concrete and happily not theoretical. Um, And hopefully people will be able to see the tie between all those ideas and the actual shows that we're going to do in this coming season. So I'm I'm just thrilled about that. Um, For I Can Get It For You Wholesale, this is a show that first came to my attention about seven years ago, I would say. I, I encountered the piece at a reading, and I just fell in love with it. Um, and I didn't have the venue for it at the time, but it stayed with me. You know, I love the setting, this 1937 New York garment district where we're actually sitting and recording this podcast yeah. right now. And um, and I love that it's these, these great characters who, as a Jewish person myself, I deeply related to. It's also an anti-hero story. It's not one of those golden age Age, musical comedies where everything is hunky dory and the conflict is just a little romantic kerfuffle. Like right. this is it's a real story with real issues at its heart, but it's also it's just dark enough and it makes its points, but it's also so enjoyable. I, I think that the lead character, Harry Bogan, who's going to be played by Santino Fontana, a Tony winner who also sits on the CSC board, um, it's an amazing character. He has this arc of going from being this shipping clerk who's terrified he won't make enough money to uh, to hold on to the apartment he lives in with his mother in the Bronx. And um, he's so driven by ambition and fear that he makes some truly despicable decisions along the way um, and goes from just trying to stay afloat to trying to be the big man about town. And, uh, and he is willing to step on people in the process. And I think that This show was so underappreciated in its own time. It premiered in 1962, and and it got overshadowed by other shows in that season, Um, the big one being How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. It's a huge hit, a different kind of antihero story, and it kind of stole all the thunder of this show. And so people just didn't know it. Um, People mostly only remember Wholesale at all because it was the Broadway debut of Barbara Streisand playing the character of the the harried secretary, Miss Marmalstein, who sings a song called Miss Marmalstein. And that seems to be the one thing people really know about Wholesale anymore. But it's a really incredible show. It has this score that is just absolutely dreamy. And What's exciting about the production we'll be doing is that Trip Coleman, our director, has been collaborating for quite some time with John Weidman, the amazing writer who a lot of folks will know already from Assassins and Pacific Overtures, all of his Sondheim collaborations. But John uh, is also the son of Jerome Weidman, who wrote this musical back in the 60s based on his own novel from the 30s. 
John has gone back to his dad's novel and pulled a bunch of material and put it into the musical. And it's just made it so much richer. And I, I think it's going to surprise people. In a way, it's going to feel like seeing an entirely new musical, but with the the absolute depth of gorgeous work of those those more old school pieces and the sound of those old school pieces. So for me, it's really that perfect mix of doing something that you might think of as a classic and and reimagining that classic. It really hits on all levels. And oh my gosh, this score. I can't wait I for know. people to hear this score. It is so gorgeous. There's this classical musical theater sound to it that's really beautiful, I think. But it is so still so grounded. They're just so much fun. I'm thinking of The Family Way, which is yeah. just such a great song. It's very sweet, but it has fangs. Oh, yes. That's such a great way to put it. And you mentioned Trip Coleman, who's directing, and Santino Fontana. And we also have Judy Kuhn in the oh cast, my gosh. right? Yes, Judy, who has done such amazing work at CSC in the past with Passion and with Assassins. I, she's amazing. She's playing Mrs. Bogan, Ida Bogan. And um, she has some really amazing material in this yeah. show in a way that character um, doesn't always do the right thing, but also is, I think, more self-aware than her son in the show. Um and Judy is just such a complex actor. She just brings so much to it. I, I cannot wait to see it with her. Yeah. So what are you excited about with having these actors join this production? Well, even though this is really Harry Bogan's story, it's in many ways an ensemble piece. And uh, while I can't tell you all of the names who are going to be in this show quite yet, the cast we are assembling is just out of this world. And every single one of them has a special moment in the show and will be featured so beautifully. And I just, I feel like it's an embarrassment of riches, the cast that we're putting together. And to hear their voices in the CSC space, it's going to be insane. Yeah. I think that they're just going to sound so beautiful in there. And with music that is this mix of everything from jazz to klezmer to like marches, it's the score is so well-rounded. There's just, there's something for everyone. Yeah, and to have Trip Coleman directing it is just... Yeah, Trip's vision for this piece is so clear. He is extremely passionate about it. And I think he and John Weidman have been working so hard to contextualize this story, to say that an antihero doesn't spring out of nowhere. And so some of the great work they've been doing is trying to say, how do we frame what's happening in 1937? to make it easier for the audience to understand what kind of atmosphere creates a Harry Bogan. What in this case um, is the anti-Semitic atmosphere that he might be dealing with that forces him to make some of these bad choices? And how does a community react when they realize that one of their own is a bad actor? Yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to this piece. Yeah, it's it's a dream to do this one, quite honestly. I love this show. I can't wait for people to know it. Yeah, and then right afterwards, in the winter of 2024, we have Pericles by yes. William Shakespeare in partnership with Fiasco Theatre Company. First, can you share a little bit more about Fiasco and what makes them such a unique company? Yeah, I love Fiasco. I've known them for a long time now, and they are a company of actors who came together and really took their training in classical theater and applied it first to Shakespeare, later to musicals, and then to other classic plays. They have 
such incredible clarity of language, they can make the most incredibly dense text feel accessible. They they just demystify the classics. And I think that one of the things I was I was first told when I came to CSC was this room is a place where language soars. And I loved that. And uh, and so when I was thinking about programming this year, I really wanted to find the right Shakespeare to do in our space and to find one that aesthetically feels right to do in our theater and where the language would soar. And Fiasco does that better than anyone I know. Uh, Their work is really heartfelt. It's really smart. They miss no opportunity for comedy. They're so funny. (laughs) And I think Pericles in particular, it's not one of those Shakespeare's that has been overexplored, at least in New York. There have certainly been productions, certainly in my time working in this industry, but you know, it's it's not one of those plays where everyone feels like they've already seen the definitive version. You know, I remember there were a couple of years where I was like, I can't I can't with the King Lear anymore. Right. I'm, I'm right. all leered out. Um, yeah. Same with Hamlet. Exactly. I mean, there's, there's, there's a handful. That... Right. The, the big titles where there's an actor who wants to play that part. They yeah. get done a lot. And Pericles is a messier play. It's harder to do. It has scenes at sea. It's got more than one shipwreck. It's more complicated. And so it needs a company like Fiasco to take time to develop a concept. They've done a a really fully done workshop to really test their ideas. And when I saw that workshop, I was just so moved. I I was thinking about that piece for months afterwards. And I finally just said, I want to bring it to CSC. I think it's going to look stunning in our space. And I think it's going to be a really refreshing Shakespeare for people to encounter because they won't come in with many preconceived notions about it. They'll get to experience it um, in its freshness. It's really wonderful. Yeah. And I love that you use the word messy Mm -hmm. because especially since, I mean, there are obviously all these rumors about did Shakespeare write his plays, yada, yada, yada. For the most part, we feel pretty sure he wrote his plays. But with Pericles in particular, it wasn't in the first folio because people were not even sure like how much of it he wrote. Yeah. I mean, we'll never know, right? Yeah. (laughs) But I think I am definitely not from the school of Shakespeare worshippers. If it's a good play, it's a good play. And I'm glad that that play has survived. And it really has survived to the modern day because people decided to credit at least some of it to Shakespeare, right? Otherwise, it might have been lost to history. That is so true. And and so he probably did write it in partnership with somebody else. Okay, it's a good play. (laughs) You know, I think it still (laughs) deserves to be seen and to be approached in new ways. It's still exciting. And it's, it's comic and it's tragic and it's romantic. And so wherever that came from, it's still a piece worthy of our time. I think we get too bogged down in the Shakespeare of it all. Yeah. And, um, and I really love that this, this piece, while obviously you'll feel like you were watching Shakespeare, it's, it's not, um, uh, it's never going to feel stayed. It's never going to feel stale. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be about movement and music and really putting humanity behind the words in this play. That's what Fiasco does so well. Yeah, that's really cool. And then that brings us to spring 2024, which will open Wine in the Wilderness by Alice Childress. And it's going to be directed by Lashans. Um, I know you're a big Alice Childress fan. Yes. Uh, Can you share a bit about who Alice Childress is for us and what it is about her work that speaks to you? Yeah, Alice Childress is just an incredible writer who did not get 
a fair deal back in her own time. You know, she came up as an actress. She was uh, working with incredible actors like Sidney Poitier. And there are all these amazing stories about how, you know, she was working with other black actors on plays that were telling black stories. And she she was mad that there weren't incredible roles for actors like her. And she found herself challenged to start writing them for herself. And good news, she was really great at it. Mm -hmm. But also the establishment at the time uh, wasn't really ready for her. You know, her her probably best known work, Trouble in Mind, is literally about a a middle-aged black actress in the theater who uh who finds herself unable to work on a play with a white director who is telling her how to be black in it. Yeah. I think we can safely guess that this came from some personal experience. And um and Alice Childress had an offer for that play to go to Broadway. It was supposed to arrive before Raisin in the Sun. She would have been the first black woman to have a Broadway show, but her producers said she needed to tone down her play. They said the audience is majority white. They're not going to like some of the uh, some of the ideas you're putting forth in this place. So you need to tone it down. Mm. And she rejected that offer, and she never got that play to Broadway in her lifetime. So Trouble in Mind was not seen on a Broadway stage until 2021. And LaShawn's was the star of that play. So cool. Yeah, it's I, it's amazing. And I think LaShawn's, uh, from our conversations so far, I think we had very similar experiences of going, why don't I know more about this woman? Why are her plays not better known? She's written so many plays and people do not know them. And it's it's just such a shame that she was pushed aside because she refused to compromise. And so Wine in the Wilderness specifically, I think is absolutely beautiful because it's not even her trying to say like, look, look at the controversies that are happening between white America and black America. This is a play that takes place with an entirely black cast. And it's about disagreements within their own community. It's about gender. It's about class. It's about perception. It tells us Maybe don't judge a book by its cover. And it's also just a well-made play. You know, yeah. there's there's risk and there's risk when you talk about doing uh, productions of plays that aren't as well known. And I just can't wrap my head around this production as being risky. It's It may not be a well-known title, but I, I have absolutely no doubt that this is a solid play and that I think we'll have the same reaction people had when they saw Trouble in Mind. They're going to be mad that they haven't been seeing this play throughout their lives. You know, we get a new Death of a Salesman or Glass Menagerie every five years. Yeah. The works of Alice Childress should be done on a regular basis like that. And so it's, it is our privilege at CSE to elevate her legacy, to put her back into the conversation, to continue that work of making Alice familiar to our audience. And, um, and I can't wait to do it. And I want to see other theaters pick up that mantle after us. I think it's so important. Trouble in Mind, one of the most exciting things about it was that after it finally got that Broadway debut two years ago, it became the 10th most produced play in this country in the following season. Wild. That is real impact. And that's what I'd love to see for Wine in the Wilderness. And to be completely blunt, 
it's a single set play. It only has five actors. It takes place over the course of less than 24 hours. It is not. Yeah, it is doable. It's not hard to produce. It's got such great roles. And so I feel like the argument is there and we just have to show it to people and say, here it is. Here's this play on a platter in a beautiful production that LaShawns is going to do for us. And now you do yours. And let's just keep Alice in everybody's minds. I think that is such an exciting thing that is so built into your mission here at CSC, which is to bring voices to the forefront like Alice Childress. I totally have faith that Wine in the Wilderness is going to have its moment too. Exactly. And it's none of this is to say that CSC won't ever do Chekhov again or won't ever do Ibsen again or won't do Arthur Miller or, you know. We're always going to do these great names and titles that you already know, but they have to be in conversation with these other works. And the way that we put these shows next to each other is actually the most exciting for me to think of the trajectory of our season and having, you know, Wholesale, which was written in the 60s, only a few years before Wine in the Wilderness was written. You know, that's a fascinating conversation. Two plays set very close to each other, both in New York City. What are the connections that we can draw by putting those in conversation? I I love that. It's that dialogue between the plays in a season that's really exciting to me. And um and while this year I think that my focus really has been on elevating titles that need to be better known, I think in future it's going to be a big mix of those lesser known titles with the better known titles and um and having our audience get this opportunity to ask questions about why one has stood the test of time better than another. Mm-hmm. You know, what does a play, what does it mean for a play to be considered a classic? What do we forgive in a classic that we don't in a play we haven't encountered with as much frequency? Oh, these yes. are these are really exciting questions to me. I think we have an exceptional uh, season ahead. And thank you for joining the podcast to talk about it. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I hope people will get the chance to see the entire season. Join us as members. It's going to be a really exciting year. Thanks for listening. And thank you to Jill Rafson for joining the CSC podcast. For memberships and more information about how to stay in touch, you can visit our website at classicstage.org. Once again, I'm Zudi Bawari. Thanks again for listening.